You're listening to the North Canton Chapel podcast. Thank you for joining us today. The North Canton Chapel exists to make much of Jesus every day to everyone. It's our prayer that this podcast will equip you to do just that. We believe that there's nothing like the church united together in gospel community. We'd love if you'd stop in and say hello in person if you're in our neighborhood. Our gathering times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Thank you again for joining us today. Let's listen in. Amen. I love that video, and I love you, Tom. I love how you uh, kind of summarized uh, your experience of being part of this church. It's awesome. So my name is Alex. Uh, welcome to North Can Chapel. I am the group life and missions pastor here at NCC, and I am always humbled to be up here speaking to my church family. Um, I really do love you guys, and it's, it's, it's truly an honor to be up here. Uh, so it's Wednesday night, and it's usually chaos in my house. We have three little girls, five and under, so it's, it's crazy, and it's exhausting. We get them all down for bed, and we finally do all this. So parents, I get it, man. It's, it's wild. But we get them down, and Casey and I, my wife, we sit down on the couch. We usually don't do this, but we've, we have this new, like, guilty pleasure of watching uh, this show. It's really, really good. And we sat down, we relaxed, like melted in the couch. Like, ah, oh, finally. We turn this show on. And it's my new favorite show. Has anybody, raise your hand. This is really important to me. Have you, has anybody in this room seen Rick Steves' Travel Adventures? Anybody know Rick Steves? <laughs> all right, yes. There's like five people. You guys are missing out on probably the greatest show of all time. So I think it's on Prime or whatever. Get on there. Rick Steves' European Adventure. It is literally the Bob Ross of travel shows. His voice is calm. He's relaxed. I'm just sitting there. I'm learning about cultures. This is awesome. Me and Casey are like, this is our date night. Like, we're there right now. It's kind of our joke. I'm like, where do you want to go tonight, Case? And we just decide, like, Croatia. All right, let's go. So we're hanging out. We're relaxing. We're watching Western Turkey. Exotic. It's awesome. And then all of a sudden, just hear this coming down the steps. It's like, oh, no. We just got it on. Come on. Western Turkey, Rick Steves, we're on our date. Sonora comes down, she just plops up on the couch. She's like, hey, what's up? What's up, guys? We're like, it's like 9.30, what are you doing? We thought you were asleep like three hours ago. She's like, nah, just hanging out. So we're sitting there, we're hanging out, and she's like watching the show with us for a little bit, and she's like glued in, which is a miracle. Like a five-year-old would be glued in. That's how awesome Rick Steves is, so seriously, watch it. She's glued in, and, and we're watching, and, and then we get to the scene, Western Turkey, where there's these uh, people worshiping in, in the Muslim faith. And I said to Sonora, my daughter, I said, we need to pray for these people because they don't know Jesus. So there's people worshiping right there. They're not worshiping Jesus. We need to pray for those people. So Sonora sat and processed it for a moment, and then she asked me this question. She said, Dad, even though these people don't know Jesus, they will still be in heaven, right? They won't go to that place with the bad snake, Satan, in the fire. And it felt like a gut punch to me. It felt like I got punched in the stomach in that moment. How was I going to answer this question, lie to my five-year-old daughter and say, like, oh, yeah, everything's fine. Everything ends up good in the end. All roads lead to heaven. Or was I going to tell her the truth? Well, babe, Actually, those people right there, if no one tells them about Jesus, and if they don't follow Jesus, they will be with the snake away from God forever. And at this point, I'm like, 
just felt like a lump in my throat because of what I'm saying to my daughter. And I knew she was going to, she's a processor, so she's sitting there processing this whole thing. And she's kind of, I can see, she's a puzzle. She's watching us. She's kind of like, what is it? What? Why, why, Dad? Like, what? And she says, why doesn't someone just tell them about Jesus? So my question today is, what is the mission of God's people? And what does the church have to do with it? So we're in week three of Isn't She Lovely? A study of the church. Last week we took a look at 1 Corinthians 12 and we talked about how what happens here prepares us for what is needed out there. And this week we're going to kind of dial it in a little bit more and examine the question, what is the mission of the church? What is the mission of the church? To get a firm grasp of the, of the answer to this question, we're going to jump around a bit in the book of Matthew, Mark, and then the book of Acts. So let's first head to Matthew 28. And if you know anything about Matthew 28, this is like the, this is the last chapter of Matthew. This is kind of like Jesus uh, kind of gathering around the disciples. Give you a little bit of context here. Jesus is just resurrected. He's appeared to Mary and Mary. Uh, the 11 go to Galilee just as Jesus instructed. They're kind of waiting there, waiting to see, like, what's Jesus going to do? What's he going to tell us? What is this that he just resurrected? Like, what is this all about? And it says this, starting in verse 16. Now the 11 disciples, keep in mind there are 11. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. It's very interesting. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We see this in Matthew 28. This is kind of Jesus' parting instructions. We see in Mark 16 kind of the, the same thing, a different account. It says this in 15, verse 15. Mark 16 says, And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. It's an interesting word, the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And skipping down to verse 19, so then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. And then again in Acts 1.8, we see Jesus say this, but when you will receive but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. These are Jesus' kind of parting instructions right before he ascends to the right hand of the Father. It's like he's gathering around the troops. He's like, hey guys, listen, this is really, really important what I'm about to tell you. And it, it kind of is like the climax of everything. Like Jesus comes back, he's taught, he's done all these things, he's resurrected, now he's gathering them around and saying, hey, what I'm about to tell you is extremely important. It's going to shape the rest of your lives, even into eternity. So he's about to ascend, and he's preparing them to receive the Holy Spirit, which is how God is going to powerfully use these disciples. We'll see this in a little bit. And he gives them the plan, the mission. He gives them the mission. He's, given, he's saying, hey, I've equipped you. We've been on this journey together for this purpose. Go. He sends them on this mission. 
So here it is. The answer to what is the mission of the church? What is the mission of God's people? I'm just going to give you the answer right here. It's not that complicated. We find it right in the scriptures, and it's this. The mission of the church is three things. If you have a pen and paper, I would encourage you to write this down. If you have a a device, go ahead and take notes. Write this down. Type this down. It's profound, yet extremely simple. The mission of the church are these three things. Number one, love God. Love God. This may seem very, very obvious, and it should be obvious. It is the greatest commandment. Love God. The second is this, to love people. This is the second greatest commandment that we see from Jesus. He says, love God, number one, first and foremost, and love people. And the third is this, go and make disciples, which includes gospel proclamation, teaching, and baptizing. This is the great commission. This is what we just read in Matthew 28. So these three things, simple yet profound. And what I love is, in Mark we see this, he says, to all creation. Right, there's, there's, this, there's this thought of like, okay, well it's like these people, like this nation, that nation, okay, yes. But he's saying all creation. Look what the book of Mark says. It says that God's mission is, to, is restoration for all creation. Right, God, that's God's mission. Our mission is to go and make disciples, and share the gospel, and baptize. Today we're going to focus on that last one, go make disciples, this great commission. So I think what's really, really important is, before we kind of talk about how to make disciples, because that can be kind of, that can be stressful, it's like, okay, how do you make a disciple, like what does that even mean? First, let's just, let's just unpack what is a disciple. What is a, dis- a true disciple of Jesus? What does that look like? So, I love um, how Jonathan Parnell simply puts it. It's going to be on the screens here. It says this, A disciple of Jesus is a worshiper, a servant, and a witness. Again, it's not that complicated, right? A worshiper, a servant, and a witness. Worshiper. In John uh, 4, and we actually get this, we get this definition directly from the life of Jesus and his ministry. We see this in John 4. Jesus tells the woman at the well that true worshipers worship God in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth because he says this is what God desires and seeks. This is what God desires and seeks, that we would worship in spirit and in truth. Servant, John 13, 5, Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And this is just one of many times we see Jesus serve in the New Testament. Then we see witness. John 20, 21, Jesus says to the disciples, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And in Acts 1, 8, we see Jesus say, You will be my witnesses. Worshiper, servant, witness. A disciple is a lifelong process of unconditional surrender to Jesus and stepping out in obedience. 
I know sometimes we, get, we, we muddy the waters, we complicate things, we say, oh man, it's got to be this, it's got to be this checklist, it's got to look like this, all these things to be this perfect, well-rounded disciple, when really it's like, man, just spending time with Jesus in unconditional surrender and then stepping out in obedience, because that's exactly what these disciples did. So let's, let's continue to look at these uh, 11 disciples in Matthew 28. Let's continue to kind of look at their story and kind of see what happened. Like, how did they take, like, what did they do when they heard this from Jesus? Did they actually go and do it, or did they just hear it? And, like, what, what, did, what was their response to what Jesus had to say? But first, the 11, just like us, we got we to gotta unpack the importance of even how they got to this point here. We see this, that they're called. Right? Each disciple was called, commissioned, and obedient. So called, beginning of each of the gospel accounts, we see that these, these disciples have an enter into a personal relationship with Jesus. But they actually, if, if you look in, in the book of John, I love this, how John kind of explains how these disciples kind of interacted with Jesus. And a lot of it was like, hey, they had this interaction. And then someone went and got someone else and said, hey, you got to see this. This is Jesus. This is the Messiah. Like, this is a big deal. This is the one who we have been waiting for. So they say, come here and check this out. They don't simply just tell somebody about Jesus. They want to introduce Jesus to them. They want to bring them and say, here is Jesus. Now enter into a relationship with Jesus. And this is exactly what happened to all these disciples. They came. They didn't just hear about Jesus, some information. They didn't just say, hey, I met this guy named Jesus. He's really, really cool. Let me tell you a bunch of facts about him. Like, they were so excited and they, they cared so much about the people that they were around that they said, you have to come and see and meet Jesus. So called these disciples. Second is this, commission. We just, we just talked about that. In Matthew 28, 16 through 20, and Mark 16 and Acts 1, 8, they, they, they were commissioned. So now Jesus has these disciples. Uh, they've been hanging out for about three years, give or take, and, and he's teaching them. He's, uh, he, he's performing these miracles. He's showing them the things. He's teaching them about the kingdom of God. He's, he's actually spending time. They're having meals together. They're hanging out together. They're, they're together and doing all these things. And at the end of it, just like we talked about, he says, guys, everything you just witnessed was really, really important. But there's something that is of utmost importance that you need to hear. And this is that great commission. Go and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them the things that Jesus has commanded this is the thing. If there's everything, it, Jesus doesn't come and say, hey, tell everybody about the miracles that we've done together. Tell everybody about this and that. And that's part of it, but what's he say? He's saying, hey, there's something that I'm sending you out on a mission to do, and I'm going to empower you to do that. So they're commissioned, they get their mission. They get the reason why Jesus spent the time with them. And then obedience. Let's see, were the disciples obedient? Did they just hear this? Did they just have this relationship with Jesus? And they're sitting there in Matthew 28, and they're, they're hearing, hey, go make disciples. And they're like, let me write that down. Let me write a book about that. Let me blog about that. Let me tell somebody about that. Or did they do it? 
did they do it? Did they take seriously the mission that Jesus sent them on? So we see here Mark 16, 20, right after the Great Commission, it says, and they went out and preached everywhere. Right from that moment, they get the Holy Spirit and they went out and they preached everywhere. In Acts 2, Peter preaches during Pentecost. This is one of the craziest moments if you read the New Testament. Peter gets up here, and if you know anything about Peter, like, dude was pretty much, like, Jesus loved him, absolutely, but, man, he put his foot in his mouth many, many times. Jesus even says, get behind me, Satan, once to Peter. So Peter, of all people, would have been the last person I would have ever expected to get up and preach the gospel unashamedly. And guess what happens? Because of Peter's obedience, 3,000 people were saved. 3,000 people in that moment. And then you see Peter and John to the council. They're sitting there and they're talking, and, and they're talking to the council, the Jewish leaders of the day, and again, unashamed, just in this boldness through the Holy Spirit that God has given them. They're going, and they're like, Jesus has sent us on this mission. We are going to do that. I don't even care. Put us in prison. You can do whatever you want to us. And we are not going to stop talking about Jesus. 5,000 people saved. Because they took what Jesus said seriously. They took what he said seriously. So were the, were the disciples, were these 11, were they obedient to the mission Jesus sent them on? There's a church historian, Eusebius. I'm going to read what he says. It's really, really interesting. He says, Meanwhile, the holy apostles and disciples of our Savior were dispersed throughout the world. Parthia, according to tradition, was allotted to Thomas, doubting Thomas, which is amazing, was allotted to Thomas as his field of labor, Scythia to Andrew, and Asia to John, who, after he had lived some time there, died at Ephesus. Peter appears to have preached in Pontus, Galatia, Bithynia, Cappadocia, and Asia to the Jews of the dispersion. And at last, having come to Rome, he was crucified head downwards, for he had requested that he might suffer in this way. What do we need to say concerning Paul, who preached the gospel of Christ from Jerusalem to Illyricum and afterwards suffered martyrdom in Rome under Nero? These facts are related by Origen in the third volume of his commentary, the Genesis, the church. So let's see again, where, where did the disciples go? What did they do? What was the response to this great commission? What was the response to this, this commissioning, this, this sending of Jesus? Let's read in church history what we see the disciples do. How did they react to this? Peter and Paul were both martyred in Rome about 66 AD during the persecution under Emperor Nero. Paul was beheaded Peter was crucified upside down at his request since he did not feel worthy to die in the same manner as his Lord. Andrew, he went to the land of the man-eaters, which is now called Russia. Christians there claim him as the first to bring the gospel to their land. He also preached in Asia Minor, which is Turkey, and Greece, where it is said that he has, was crucified. Thomas, he was probably most active in the area east of uh, Syria. Tradition has him preaching as far east as India, where the ancient Marthoma Christians revere him as their founder. They claim that he died there when pierced through with spears of four soldiers. Philip, 
He possibly had a powerful ministry in Carthage in North Africa in Asia Minor where he converted the wife of a Roman proconsul. In retaliation, the proconsul had Philip arrested and cruelly put to death. Matthew, he was a tax collector and the writer of the gospel, ministered in Persia and Ethiopia. Some of the oldest reports say that he was not martyred, while others say that he was stabbed to death in Ethiopia. Bartholomew had a widespread missionary travels attributed to him by tradition to India with Thomas and back to Armenia, Ethiopia, and southern Arabia. There are various accounts of how he met his death as a martyr for the gospel. James, he was the son of Alphaeus and is one of the at least three James referred to in the New Testament. There's some confusion as to which is which, but this James is reckoned to have ministered in Syria. The Jewish historian Josephus reported that he was stoned and then clubbed to death. Simon the Zealot, as the story goes, he ministered in Persia and was killed after refusing to sacrifice to the sun god. Matthias, he was the apostle chosen to replace Judas. Tradition sends him to Syria with Andrew and to death by burning. And John was the only apostle um, generally thought to have died a natural death from old age. He was the church leader in Ephesus area and is said to have taken care of Mary, the mother of Jesus, in his home. During Domitian's persecution in the middle 90s, he was exiled to the island of Patmos. There he is credited with writing the last book of the New Testament, the, the Revelation. An early Latin tradition has him escaping unhurt after being cast into boiling oil in Rome. That's the disciples. That's the story. But it's not so important how the disciples died. What is important is the fact that they went and actually did what Jesus sent them to do. They actually did what Jesus sent them to do, even unto death. And powered by the Holy Spirit, they obeyed the mission of Jesus and they went. Look where they ended up. These 12, these 12 disciples who look back in, in, the, in the text, they were nobodies. Right? They were outcasts of society, these uneducated men. They went, look where they went. Russia, India, North Africa, Ethiopia, Syria. They obeyed Jesus. They took the mission seriously, and they went. So were the disciples obedient to the mission Jesus sent them on? Well, because of these disciples' obedience, we are talking about Jesus some 2,000 years later, some 6,000 miles away in North Canton, Ohio. So what does that mean for us? Right, 2023, we're the church in 2023, we're called to go make disciples and live on mission, do all these things. Like, what does that mean for us today? So I just want to give you some encouragement because I know, I, trust me, I know when you read this and, and, and this is unpacked, it seems crazy. It seems impossible. It's like, man, do I have to go to the ends of the earth and become martyred for my faith? Like, what does this actually mean for me? But my encouragement is that you can start small. We can actually start small. You don't need some theology degree. You don't need to know the deep oracles of God. You can just start small. And I like to say it's homes to neighborhoods to nations. Homes to neighborhoods to nations. How we go and make disciples can look many different ways. But my encouragement is just to take that first step to make a disciple. Just taking that first step. So how do we do this? 
Right? How do we actually do this? We look at the disciples. We see what they did. They simply just started interacting with people, right? Jesus sends them on this great commission. It's not like they went out and like had this. Like they actually just, they just started interacting with people and started unpacking the things of God. They, they started unpacking the things that Jesus taught them, and they, they did this in power through the Holy Spirit. So they, they went and did this. So what does that look for, like for us, home? So do you, in here, do you live, you don't have to raise your hand, do you live in a home with other people? A lot of you in this room live in a home with other people. Just start there. Just start there. Micah preached a, a few weeks ago on this, this incredible series, As for Me and My House. Get those resources. If you have little kids or if you have big kids, it doesn't even matter. Get those resources and just take that first step. At my house, we've just been... Because it's, like I said in the beginning, it, it's been, it's chaos in my house. Sometimes we read the Bible, we sit down there on the bed, and it's like, we get it all, we get the kids all round up, you know what I mean? And it's like, this is finally going to happen, they're going to pay attention, and then we start reading the Bible, and it's just utter chaos. My youngest one's running around the room, just flipping tables and just destroying everything, and we're like, all right, so usually what we do, just keep reading, like, all right, they're going to see us read it. I don't know if they're processing anything, but we're just going to do this. So what we've been doing at my house, we've just been reading the children's Bible, the kids' Bible. We've been reading these stories. And we make it exciting. Like, we don't just read it in monotone, like, oh, here's checklist thing. Like, we make it exciting, like, because it is exciting. And something recent we've been doing, we down I downloaded this app called the Unreached People of the Day by the Joshua Project. You guys can download the same app, Unreached People of the Day. So every single day there's a new uh, a new unreached people group that pops up on the phone. And what we do, we go into Nori's room, my oldest, and she has a little globe. We spin that thing around, and we find the, the place where this unreached people group is. And what we do, we look at the picture of the person, and we just pray for that group. 99% of the time, we can't pronounce the name at all, but it's got this little cool thing where you push it, and it says the name. Most of the time, we do that, and they start laughing and giggling, but we pray for those people. It's, it's not that hard. We just pray for these people. And what does that do? That gives my family, including myself, a burden for the nations. It's one of the things my oldest, she can't wait. She's like, let's get the globe, Dad. Who, who are we praying for today? So what about your neighborhood? Do you live in a neighborhood or around people? Just walk when you can and pray for all your neighbors. And when one comes outside, just engage with that person and ask, how can, how can we pray for you? It's, it's not that complicated. If you live in a neighborhood, it, it really is just walking around and just praying for your neighbors. It doesn't have to be some miraculous prayer. It's just like, God, be with them. Be with their marriage. Be with their family. Be with them. Let them know and, and understand who you are, Jesus, and have a relationship with you. It can be simple. And then guess what typically happens in a neighborhood? Eventually, that neighbor and you are going to cross paths. They're going to be out getting the mail or something or taking out the trash, and you're going to engage with them. Hey, how can we pray for you? How can I pray for you today? How can I pray for your family? And I, I've done this a few times, and, and I promise you, no one has come out. I don't really live in a neighborhood now, but in, in other settings, I, I go out and, and, and say, hey, how can we pray for you? And no one has come up to me and said, you're a hateful bigot. Get off my property. No one has ever said that to me. The most, the, the, usually what happens, they're like, yeah. And they just unload it. Like, here's this mess my life is in. Can you pray? That'd be awesome. That's mostly what happens. Or maybe they say, that, no, that's, you're weird. Get, like, 
that's strange. I'm good. I don't need prayer. We'll see you, neighbor. Like, that might happen. So be it. I can promise you that's far and few between. What usually happens is people are grateful and they say, yeah, I I would love that. So interacting with your neighbors. Think about it. Jesus, he spent time with disciples. He had meals together. So maybe it is just inviting a family, inviting somebody. Maybe there's a, a single in this church or there's some young teenagers or whatever. Invite them over for a meal and just talk about Jesus. What did Jesus do? He taught the disciples the things of God. They had conversations based around the scriptures. That's it. It wasn't even that complicated. They ate some food together, and they talked about the things of God. We can do the same thing. I love how Christy Stevens, who is our women's ministry director, puts it. She says something like this. Just open up the Bible and read together and talk about scripture. Like, if, you, if you're like, how many times people come up to us like, how do you disciple somebody? What does that look like? Just open up the Bible and just read together. Talk about scripture. It doesn't have to be this crazy program or anything like that. Just talk about Jesus. And then live in a way that glorifies and honors God. You can do the same things at work, right? I know this is really, really challenging. Trust me, I, before I worked at a church, I know it's, it's hard. But what if? We went into our workplaces and just asked the people, our coworkers, how can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? You know how many doors that opens? And then what starts to happen is once you start being awkward and say, hey, how can I pray for you? Guess what eventually starts happening? People start coming to you when their life is going off the rails. And guess what you can do? Be a light and talk about Jesus. These are natural ways where we can just naturally, like Jesus just gives us a platform and says, hey, it's real easy Just be around people. What about our cities? Right, just saying yes to serving, and no doubt you will get around people who do not know Jesus. We're about to roll out many ways over the next few months how you can get connected with North Kent Chapel's local missions partners. We even have all sorts of global opportunities coming. Right, we have them right now. You could go to our website right now and sign up for a trip to Dominican Republic today. You could do that. Or how about stepping into other local opportunities to serve and just be a light there, right? You know, schools and and other places, local outreaches are begging for people to help. Schools, man, are begging for parents or whoever, and local outreach is begging for people. So what if you just said yes instead of trying to avoid it and you did the whatever, you're selling hot dogs and chips at the whatever place for the wrestling game or whatever, and and you actually just engaged people where, where you're at. And you just talked about Jesus, Wrestling match, sorry, it's not game. I think I saw somebody over there laugh at me, so wrestling match. Right, is it a match? Yeah, I wrestled for like two years, but it was dreadful. Oh, man. So, how about your kids? Do they have activities, right? Maybe your niece, nephew, they have activities. Like, actually go and be a missionary there. Like actually going to be a missionary there. Don't convince yourself that being nice and friendly is the same thing as gospel proclamation and making disciples. Don't convince yourself of that. You have to be intentional. And I promise you, I know I am a pastor at a church. You know how easy it should be for me to make conversations about Jesus. Hey, how are you? Nice to meet you. What do you do? I'm a pastor. Let me just start 
free thing. I just get to start talking about Jesus. And it's still hard for me to do. I'm at my daughter's soccer game the other day, and I was trying to, like, do what I'm saying here, like, engage with the person sitting next to me. And I was like, hey, how are you? You live around here? Like, it was awkward, but eventually it's like, man, just breaking down that barrier and just like, hey, how can I pray for you and your family? It's simple. And people will actually see that you believe this. People will begin to see that you actually believe this whole thing about Jesus. Like, that's actually real in your lives. And then nations. And we see the nations. There are 7.9 billion people in the world. And of those, there are 17,500 distinct people groups with their own language and ethnicity. There are 7,388, which is 42%, 3.4 billion of those people who are considered unreached. Unreached is someone with no access to the gospel and almost no possibility for an interaction with a Christian. Unreached. And to add to it, most of these people have severe needs. Clean water, food, shelter. For instance, in India, there are 1.4 billion people. Just surpassed China for the most populous place or nation in the world. 1.4 billion people. And of those, 1.35 billion are considered unreached people groups. No access to a Bible or a Christian to tell them about Jesus. No access. 1.35 billion people just in one nation. Let that sink in. But the problem is, it's just like Joseph Stalin said, uh, a million deaths is a a statistic, but one death is a tragedy. It's too much for our brains to comprehend that 1.435 people in one nation have no access to know about Jesus. So we simply ignore it. We simply say it's too much, we can't do anything about it. I'm going to turn on Netflix and watch Steve, Rick Steves instead. Let's talk about the money breakdown of churches real quick, of tithes. Church-going Christians earn $53 trillion a year. Church-going Christians across the world. Only 1.5% is tied for anything and all things Christian. 82% of that goes to home ministries, which is local churches in church nations. 12% goes to evangelism at home in the same church Christian nations. 6% goes to anything global missions at all. And 1.7% of that 6% goes to missions for unreached peoples. 888 million, which seems like a lot, goes to the unreached with the 53 trillion that is earned. I'm going to send up this picture really, really quickly. There's a picture just to kind of put this in perspective. See that little stack? That's a million dollars and 100 bills. Right? There's a billion, a couple of crates, and that's a trillion dollars. We make 53 trillion dollars, and only one, less than one billion goes to unreached people who have no access to the, to the gospel. That's crazy. Evangelical Christians could provide all the funds needed to plant a church in all of the 7,400 unreached people groups with only 0.03 of their income. We could plant a church everywhere there's unreached people with 0.03 of our income. These are legitimate sources 
This isn't just stuff I made up or found on, on Google. These are real. And trust me, I know it's tempting to think, and this is hard because I've wrestled with this before. It's tempting to think, well, if these people never hear about Jesus, then surely they won't go to hell, right? They didn't even know there was a Jesus. How could they go to hell? How could, how could that be? But follow the logic then. Sharing the gospel to these people would be the most unloving thing that we could do. 3.2 billion people going to heaven until us Christians showed up and told them about Jesus, and now some hear and reject and go to hell. Like, it doesn't make sense. So the reality is, yeah, there's 3.2 billion people who don't know Jesus, and if you don't know Jesus and give your life to Christ, that's, that's the reality of the matter. There are extremely significant implications of not sharing the gospel, and we as a culture in America have completely misplaced our priorities. And I think it's because the gospel to us is simply an addition to our lives and not everything. The gospel is simply just an addition to our lives and it's not everything. The lost are an inconvenience to us, and we, in the thought of lost people, doesn't even hit a nerve anymore. We see that stat up there, we're like, that's a bummer. It doesn't even pierce our heart anymore. Or maybe it seems like an impossible situation, but let me remind you, those 11 disciples who heard in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, they're responsible for the other 4.4 billion people knowing about the gospel, so it can be done. Living on mission is not impossible. And the beauty of this is you do not have to do it alone. We do not have to do it alone. We have a whole family to do this with. It's called the church. Right? Christopher Wright says, It is not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world as that God has a church for his mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for the mission, mission of God. We, in this church, were made for mission. I get it. Sometimes it can seem like these disciples were mythical people, right? Mythical people that hardly, they couldn't have truly existed, right? Like it's, this is kind of made up. There's no way. Or maybe they just had these superpowers, whatever. Like look around. Look at, look at stories of people just like us who went and, and they go and do these things, they actually do it. They're real people just like us today who are saying yes to the mission of God in their life and they're going. And they're taking the Great Commission seriously in their neighborhoods, to the nations, and everywhere in between. My fear is this, sort of to close here. My fear is this. That the gospel doesn't hit a nerve anymore with us that we've heard the gospel so many times, it's just like, oh, the gospel, when there's 3.2 billion people and people in our own backyards and our own families that don't know about Jesus. It doesn't hit a nerve anymore. My fear is that we become too complacent with our own neighborhoods and nations. We look around and we see our neighborhoods and we see the nations and we say, ah, it's too much. I'm just complacent. I just don't care that much anymore. We don't do that on purpose. It just happens. We fall into it. My fear is that we get hyped up at a message like this and then absolutely nothing changes. There's so many times I've heard a message like David Platt or somebody like that. I hear this message and I'm pumped. I'm just like, Casey, we're selling everything. We're going. 
And then guess what happens? Like a, a week later, I'm scrolling my phone watching Rick Steves again and don't even think about the nations. That's, what ha- that's realistically what happens. We have to be a church that leads the way. We have to be a church that leads the, the way. What would our community, our city look like if we all took the Great Commission seriously? Just in this church, North Canchap, where everyone's sitting here, what would our communities look like if we, some few hundred people in here, took the Great Commission seriously? How many of the 7,388 people groups would be reached if we, as a local church, took the Great Commission seriously? It only took 11 disciples to reach 4.4 billion people. What would it look like for us to take it seriously? If not, then who? If not us, then who? God is using us for his plan A to a lost and broken world. What I'm afraid of is that we leave in our thinking with an individualistic mindset instead of what Jesus set up for all of these things to flourish. And that's the church. That's us together on this mission. So if you're sitting here and you're, you aren't quite there yet, this whole Jesus thing isn't quite legit to you, you might have a lot of questions, concerns, then have that conversation with God. Find somebody on staff here. Find somebody that you know that is a Christian and have that conversation with them. This is real. Those 11 disciples would have not been martyred if they knew that this whole thing was a, was a lie. But because of that, we're here talking about Jesus today. It's, it's legit. It's real. But if you are a believer, if you are a disciple of Jesus, a worshiper, a servant, a witness, then get connected in the local church. Surround yourself with community. You need it. I need it. We all need it. Surround yourself in community. You do not have to do this alone. In fact, God created the church. God created this so we don't do it alone. We have ways right here at North Canch Chapel to get connected. This isn't a sales pitch. It's just, it's just real. We have community groups, Sunday morning groups, Bible studies, men's and women's things, student stuff, 55 plus, college, young adult. Take the step. Just take that step. Get connected in community. You need it. So to borrow from Jesus in John 3.16, for God, for God so loved the world that he sent you. God so loved the world that Jesus has called you on mission to go to the people who don't know him and make disciples. So, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I, Jesus, am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. God, thank you so much, God, that you love us, you care for us in such a way, God, that you allow us to come and be a part of this mission. It makes no sense that you would use a bunch of broken people like us, just like those disciples, but you do, Jesus, and you've called us to a very important mission, Lord. Break our hearts for those who don't know you, Jesus, and are headed for a a Christless eternity in hell. Lord, break our hearts for that. Wreck us for that, God. For our neighbors, those in our families. Break our heart for the loss and the hurting. And let us not be complacent, God, but let us run this race hard after the mission you've called us to, Lord.
Let us be face to face with you someday, God, and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You were obedient. May that be for us, Lord, at this church and in our community and our nation to the ends of the earth, Lord. We love you so much, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Thank you for listening to this episode of the North Canton Chapel Podcast. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please share this episode with your friends or spread the word on social media. If you subscribe and leave a five-star review, it goes a long way to helping us make much of Jesus every day to everyone who hears these podcast episodes. You can also donate to this ministry at nchapel.com forward slash give. Thanks again for joining us. May you go out into your places and spaces making much of Jesus every day to everyone.